Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Don't for him anymore. <laughs> do you think real movie stars have to do this? All movie stars. Coca-Cola Racing Family Goes Hollywood. Marker. Here's Dale Earnhardt. Revlon representative. <laughs> Just a little blush. Just a little blush. <laughs> he would be a fall person. He likes to pass more up, more up green, the light browns, the greens. <laughs> Easy, guys. You know we're going to see this. We're not going to see this. <laughs> We'll do a making up video that we'll get to inside NASCAR and we'll... Oh, oh man. There we go. He really doesn't have makeup on. Okay. That would be, that would be camouflage makeup. Now, a lot of you are wondering what the heck this is all about. Well, thanks to Coca-Cola and Dale Earnhardt, Dale Jarrett, and Kyle Petty, NASCAR is going to the big screen. It's all part of Coke's commitment to the sport as the official soft drink of NASCAR. Beginning this June, you'll be able to see this trailer at more than 10,000 theaters nationwide. And action! Now to film this 60-second spot, it took a crew of 50, 150 extras, and $2 million of equipment. Then there's the seven hours of outtakes in filming all the scenes. Three. That noise you heard was Dale spilling his Coke on the floor. Cut! gonna be pretty neat that this is gonna be on how many weeks ten weeks we're playing for ten weeks and then we probably could be up for an oscar yeah i think kyle would probably get it for leading leading role though because he spins so great yeah, he really spin. does a great film right yeah. yeah. on his toes i could do the choreography yeah. i could do the choreography yeah. i could get like the directions so the ballet, ballet, as he the... said really played off yeah, yeah. it did yeah. And you ballet know, the six years of ballet you guys know what we're gonna do you should one of you should just be the director of this thing all right, guys, let's see the final version. Dad, can you give me a popcorn and a Coke, please? Sure, I'll be right back. Definitely look like those guys were having a great time. Yeah, well, anytime you get Kyle Earnhardt and your son DJ together, there's going to be trouble. I don't know who might have put those three together to get with. <laughs> that was a big gamble. Welcome to the underworld. I love America. It's been my home all my life. Ladies and gentlemen, the very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, 
and the secret proceedings. Access America. This is your history. This is your this country. Is your this, country. Is this is America. Join us in listening to some of history's America's best speeches. Created by Jar Codes Productions. Go back in Go time, back with, in us time us with us right now, right now on Public, Public Access. Access. All right, let's, uh, let's go down now to uh, Dale Earnhardt standing by with Matt Yoka. Matt? Well, Dale, he keeps taking my mic away. Well, first off, you were drafting out there. What did you see with your 500 car? Gordon messed me up. I couldn't hear you. What did you say? What did you see with your 500 car? Did you like what you saw on the racetrack compared to your shootout car, which you finished second in? I don't know. Is Daryl working today? Well, theoretically, yes. He said something about my open face helmet in the race yesterday. I didn't like that. Well, you know, I could set up a meeting, maybe. I could. Uh, many years. Do you want to talk to him? As many years as he's been watching races. Oh, oh, time out. Time out. Hang on a second. Okay. Now go ahead and you can talk to Daryl. Yeah, Daryl. Don't go. Don't go there yet. Wait a minute. Where don't you, you think? Don't you think you might have made you move a little early yesterday, bud? Well, Daryl, it's the only move ahead. You know, it's sort of like when you see it, you got to do it, and and that's all I had. And uh, it may have been a little too soon, and I, I know it was too soon, matter of fact, and I knew it was wrong when I was doing it, but uh, it's the only opportunity I had, so I had to I had to go for it, man. And the helmet, All right, the so helmet deal, the helmet? the helmet deal, you shouldn't be talking about the helmet deal. It's the safest helmet in Winston Cup racing today. Well, let, but listen, you got to understand something. I, it, all I hear is all Earnhardt, he can see the wind. Now, you know you're a smart man. Ain't nobody can see the wind. If it's blowing in your face, you can't. Well, that's what I'm trying to tell you. So maybe it's him. I looked, I slipped in there yesterday, and you wasn't around. I looked through the goggles. There ain't nothing trick about them. No, no, they're just I clear. slipped the helmet on. I don't feel nothing unusual there, so it's but got no, to you, be. you put my helmet on? Yeah. Maybe that's why my head's itching. Ah, ha, <laughs> ha. Hey, hey, show my logos here. Help my sponsors out a little bit. Come on. Let's see. That's yeah, good wrench, good wrench, yeah. good wrench. Okay. okay. I got you, and I got, like, Hershey. Why do you keep wearing that Earnhardt hat? Well, I, I lost my Goodrich hat, man. I haven't seen you wear that hat until this year. Now, what's the Hey, deal? hey, you two, wait a minute. It's an old hat. Dale, Dale. <laughs> this, yeah, is, yeah, this, this is your other nightmare. Yeah, Larry. <laughs> on a serious note. I want a Daytona 500 with you, buddy. You with got open it, face buddy. Helmet. Yeah, got I, it. I'm still and mad at him for that. Open face helmet and that seat you got in that thing. We won the Daytona 500. Yeah, we did. On a serious note, this first time at Daytona in race conditions with the aero package. What, what are you seeing different from what we've had here before? I like it, and uh, the, honestly, the cars do drive, I think, as good as they did before, but it does lend that to drafting back up and keeping the cars side by side. And so I think it's a better race. I seem to think the high line is in after the tires go off about 20 or 30 laps, I think the high line is the way to go. So, you know. I can't wear this hat, guys. That's something that's sponsor. Was you surprised? <laughs> was you surprised cars got as ill handling yesterday as they did? 
Well, my car didn't get ill handling. Let, let's rephrase that. My, tire, my tires had gone off on the left side. I 70 laps on tires. The right sides were a little, you know, older than the guys that came out with four tires there at the end. So, really, I was really going good chassis-wise. Just the tires was hot and wore out versus what they had. Why, I was guiding you? it pretty good in the wind. I thought I was flying that race car pretty good through the corners. If, if, I mean, if you guys couldn't see that, I mean, you know, I was doing a pretty good job, uh, even as old as I was. You were dragging around. You were lifting. I, we had a camera in there. We saw you lift. No, you didn't have a camera in my car. Uh, well, we saw you lift. Are you riding with me, Daryl? I told you to get nope, to ride nope, with me. Nope. I just, didn't even like being beside look here, you. I got to go. My car's ready, and I got to go back out and practice. I changed some little springs here. I'm trying a little something here. Right, well, fast. Larry gave me a little tip yeah, last night. <laughs> we'll call you later. All right. <laughs> All right. The 98 Daytona 500 winner. Seven-time Winston Cup champion. And verbally jousting a match for LBW. I, I tell you something. It makes me nervous when he'll discuss things like that with me. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's the helmet yeah. we're talking about. Most of the drivers now run a full-face helmet with a full chin bar, pioneered in Winston Cup by Jeff Bodine. He brought it with him from the modified division. IndyCar drivers have had him since Dan Gurney first tried it in 68. But Earnhardt is one of a few that prefers the open-face helmet. Well, it's there's pros and cons. Uh, Dale is convinced that uh, the chin guard down around the bottom of your chin there, the, the bottom part of the, of the closed-face helmet, can actually act as a ratchet and actually can be cause your helmet to be pushed up. But uh, I'm not so sure that I wouldn't rather have that happen than to have my face bare like his is. Maybe that's why he looks the way he does. He's been wearing that old open-face helmet. He's got to him or something. Well, in the arguments him and I had about it, he just always said, Daryl, I just, I just can't see. But one thing you see he does have right here, that's a headrest. And what that does, especially at, a, at any racetrack, if you do get hit, it gives your head support. You know, what you want is as much of a cocoon around your head as you can, and that just gives that little extra support. Here's another difference between Earnhardt and a lot of drivers. Look at the plane of Earnhardt's eyes as he sits in the car. Look at how close that is to the windowsill on the door. He sits lower in the car than anybody. Well, one, one other thing real quickly. When you got a full face helmet on, you can't see anything down in here. It's all blocked out. You can't see anything. Plus, your peripheral vision is somewhat restricted with a full face helmet. So he's not wrong. Nope. And he's he likes that open face helmet and those old bubble goggles that we've been wearing for 30 years. That's what he likes. And uh, I can't argue with him. But I did have to finally convince him to wear gloves. And he did come around to that way of thinking anyway. Wait a minute, I worked with him a year and a half. He never wrong. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever ridden with him in a regular passenger car? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. What a nightmare. Gary, just between you and me, you find Earnhardt, you know, intimidating? Well, he's pretty darn competitive. Nobody trades paint like Dale. He does have that black Monte Carlo. Yeah, he's got that black Monte Carlo. But remember one thing. When he first started, his car was pink. No, pink? Pink? Pink. And he's never gotten over it. Genuine Chevrolet, the cars more champions trust, no matter what color they're painted. Put yourself in this man's place for a moment. He's driving one of the most awesomely powerful automobiles ever conceived of. His job, as well as his greatest pleasure, is challenging the masters of American motorsports bumper to bumper at speeds stopping 200 miles per hour. His name is Dale Earnhardt. 
a relative newcomer to Grand National Racing. He's running this year in defense of his phenomenal 1980 NASCAR championship. The doors really opened up for me in 1978 and 79 with Oscar. We won the Rookie of the Year in 1979 and won one race. And uh, won four poles and, you know, had a good year that year and turned around in 1980 and everybody was asking me what, what I was going to do and was worried about the sophomore jinx and things like that. And we just uh, went on and raced positive and thought about uh, winning races and didn't really worry about uh, talking about sophomore jinx and things like that and ended up winning the championship. Won uh, five races that year and uh, the championship too. So uh, established myself as a pretty good driver, I think. And, uh, I feel like I've got uh, the ability to uh, stay in it for a good, you know, five, six, eight, ten years, uh, hopefully. This is the story of the man, Dale Earnhardt, the young champion of Grand National Competition, known around the NASCAR circuit as one tough customer. To be competitive in Grand National Racing, means meeting the demands of a grueling 31-event season that takes its toll on driver, crew, and machine. Without sponsorship and a delicately coordinated team effort, great driving alone isn't enough to win a NASCAR championship. Earnhardt has behind him one of the best teams in the business. It's in this shop that his bright yellow and blue number two Wrangler Pontiac is prepared for racing, literally from the ground up. Often the car is completely rebuilt inside and out from one Sunday's event to the next. Earnhardt enjoys rare camaraderie with his crew, both on and off the track. Dale's crew chief and close friend, Doug Richard. You know, like all along, you have to have, you know, teamwork and uh, you got to put all your strokes together and uh, I think that's, you know, one part of it to really know the know your crew and really put faith behind them. You know, he's done it all himself before and uh, it's in his contract. He's not supposed to do the work, but it's kind of hard for someone just to break off what he's been doing all his life and just, you know, watch someone else do it all the time. While few drivers in NASCAR history have skyrocketed to the top the way he has, Earnhardt's background is not uncommon among the ranks of the NASCAR elite. He grew up here in Kannapolis, North Carolina, where like so many small towns, stock car racing is a way of life. It was in this garage behind the Earnhardt family home that Dale's father, Ralph Earnhardt, built the cars he raced to NASCAR's 1956 late model sportsman championship. Active at a time when men like Richard Petty were just getting their start, Ralph didn't live long enough to share his son's victories, but he remains the greatest influence on this young champion's career. Dale was kind of hard-headed, you know. He didn't want He was too anxious, you know. He didn't want to go slow like Ralph wanted him to and do it on his own, you know. Ralph wouldn't help him uh, because he wanted him to work for it and, you know, get it on his own. He wanted Dale to see how hard it was before. He wouldn't just build a car and put him in it, you know. And, uh, he never would just uh, tell me, well, do it this way, do it that way. He'd more or less let me form my own style of driving. And, and uh, when I'd mess up or have problems, I would go to him or he would say something to me about, you know, well, you should have done it this way. Or, you know, you would have worked out better if you had done it this way. You know, he gave me hints and things. So uh, I got on into... Uh, 
late model sportsman racing after he died. And I really didn't know how much he was helping me until he did die and he, he weren't there to help me. And I, there's a lot of times, I, you know, I needed him to say, well, what, what now, Pop? You know, what, what should I do now? But uh, he weren't there. Ralph Earnhardt was the last of a self-reliant breed of men. And while he never made the leap from late model sportsman to grand national competition, his highly successful NASCAR career earned him the nickname Ironheart. Dale got his first field for the winner's circle with his father. But in Charlotte's sportsman race, he'd settle for second under the yellow flag, denying him a last shot at the lead. Maybe it'll be just like last October when we finished second on Saturday in a sportsman race and won the 500. Maybe we can win the 600. You know, when I'm not racing, uh, you got to relax and do what you can to, to relax. Uh, I just enjoy being myself and, you know, pretty much like any other, any, any, anybody else in the world. Uh, I go fishing, uh, take my kids and do things. We go out fishing, water skiing together and play it on the lake. We live on the lake here and uh, I enjoy pretty much simple things in life. There's nothing simple, though, about how Dale Earnhardt earns a living. Inside of 24 hours in Charlotte this weekend, he'll race a total of 900 miles, virtually all of it with his foot to the floorboard. Sunday's Grand National Race, the World 600, is perhaps the most physically demanding event on the NASCAR circuit. 300 laps of this high-banked 1.5-mile track on what promises to be one of the hottest days of the year. In 1980, he had to hold off a late-season charge from three-time Grand National Champion Cale Yarborough, but he led in the point standing from the second race to the last. We didn't beat Bobby, did we? Earnhardt is under the greatest pressure he's known as a professional racing driver as he mounts a comeback effort to repeat as Grand National Champion. So far, though, the 1981 season has been a frustrating one for the defending champion and his Wrangler team. I don't know. They've run regularly with the leaders, but have yet to win a Grand National race. Still, they're so close in the standings that a couple of wins would put them back on top. Most drivers would consider Earnhardt's accomplishments this year a triumph for the defending Grand National Champion. They pose a greater challenge. Earnhardt qualified his Wrangler Pontiac at an average speed of 156.639 miles per hour, putting him on the pole at least temporarily. But as the track surface got continually faster, Cale Yarborough came right back with a faster time. And there are many more qualifiers to come. Grand National Racing is so highly competitive with so many lead changes that pole position rarely determines the outcome of a race. Still, there's a good deal of prestige and a strong psychological advantage to turning the fastest lap. By the end of qualifying, Neil Bonnet is sitting on the pole with a check for $16,000 in prize money already to his credit. And the race is still a day away. Come the end of the workday, a racetrack like any place else closes up shop for the night, giving the drivers 14 or 15 hours in which to anticipate the moment when the green flag will drop, launching them on 600 miles of high-speed racing. 
Normally, they sit it out in nameless hotels and crowded restaurants. This time, Earnhardt is lucky. This is his hometown. And now he's headed for the one place where he can truly relax. Home. Race day dawns clear but stiflingly hot, and it's still early morning. As Dale Earnhardt leaves for the track, there can be only one thing on his mind. Thinking about how your car handled worked in the last practice, and, you know, how, what you think the car is going to do today. Uh, a little bit of question still in your mind sometimes the way the car is working. If it wasn't working just right the last practice, you know, wondering if it's going to work good today as it did yesterday or the last time you ran it. So. I'm Dale Earnhardt. I'm, I'm sorry, Dale. That sort of sounded like I had a big head, didn't it? I'm Dale Earnhardt. I'm going to park in here anyway. To drive in a grand national event is to race with the very best. This is a hard-charging fraternity based on consummate professionalism and all-out competition. As far as close friends, I think Bobby Allison and Richard Penn, those guys probably the closest friends. Bobby Allison especially. Bobby and Richard has helped me a lot in my rookie season. And I've got other relationships. Uh, it's like the one I've got with Darrell Walter. He and I pretty much uh, rivals. You know, we just like to beat each other. And, you know, we pick a kid, and, but when we get on the racetrack, we race for, you know, tooth and nail and, and the whole bit. Earnhardt and Waltrip belong to the new regime in NASCAR competition. Waltrip has come close to the championship a few times already, but he's still looking for his first Grand National crown. The rivalry between these two young drivers is already legendary on the NASCAR circuit. It's up to the drivers and the cars now. Uh, we had a scheduled pit stop, which we almost come in for. We was going to get scheduled left side tires and uh, fill it up with fuel. We could be able to go the rest of the way, but we was able to take the caution and get four tires. And now we just it's up to the drivers now. Twice every season, the NASCAR teams make an excursion from the great oval super speedways for an all-out assault on the treacherous road course of Riverside, California. Here, the NASCAR spirit of no-holds-barred competition and these monstrously powerful modified stock machines must meet the challenge of constant accelerating, shifting, and braking, of great variations in the terrain, and of having to turn to the right as well as to the left on this tight, twisting track. Today's race was a constant battle between Earnhardt and Waltrip, who regained the lead as the cars came around to take the white flag, giving Earnhardt only one more lap to make his move. As they fought their way through the S's and down the back straight, both pit crews waited anxiously for their cars to come back into view on the last turn. But Waltrip anticipated Earnhardt's slingshot move to the inside and cut him off to preserve his third Riverside win in the last four NASCAR road races. Win or lose these days, Dale Earnhardt is a champion who's worked hard and given everything he's had in order to realize his dream. She's out in the out there in the infield. There are guys like I was in 1977 and 78 before I got hooked up at Austin. I was looking for the big chance and uh, 
looking for a big sponsor deal to come along. And uh, I was racing on uh, credit and, you know, borrowed time more or less. And, and I was pretty much in debt when I, I did get hooked up at Oscar. And if it wasn't for my friends and family, I probably wouldn't have been able to race at all. But uh, those those guys are racing like that today. And uh, they're looking for the big, big sponsor deals or big chance deals to get a good ride with a good team or uh, established team and, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, they they are uh, just as much as part of the sport as I am uh, with, a, with a big team. In Charlotte, the pre-race ceremonies are honoring Memorial Day and local hero Dale Earnhardt, whose home in Kannapolis is only a few miles away. As if the pressure of the moment were not intense enough on this young champion, the race sponsors are offering a bonus of $100,000 in prize money should Earnhardt win before his hometown crowd. In special tribute to the Earnhardts, an early replica bearing Ralph's number eight bridges the generations of racers on the parade lap for the World 600. In the final few moments, as drivers and crews routinely prepare for the start of another contest, it is sometimes possible to forget the enormous risks involved each time these men take to the track. Really, I guess the biggest thing I worry about, of course, you know, I worry that Dale might get hurt, but that's in the background, you know, in my mind. I try not to think about that, but I worry about him being able to handle disappointments and like this year's been, you know, not, he done so good for two years and then having such luck this year and I was worried about him being able to handle it and, you know, but he knows, I mean, he know, I know he knows how it is and, but I was just worried about him staying in good spirits, you know, and keeping his chin up. This is it. This is what it all comes down to. After the long week of preparation and qualifying, the men are finally alone in their machines for a few fleeting moments of suspended calm, awaiting that first air-raising dive into turn one. Well, when you talk about pressures, there's really different kinds. Uh, racing pressure itself is puts adrenaline into me, you know, pumps my adrenaline up. Uh, I like it better when I'm racing close with somebody. I, I did it last year a lot with Kale and uh, for the championship. It seemed just to make things uh, a little bit better when you did beat them and, uh, you know, a little more frustrating when you when you lost. So uh, that kind of pressure I love. The pressure of uh, this year has changed a lot uh, as far as having a sponsor and uh, you promoted the sponsor trying to get him to uh, the people to sponsor you like Wrangler and uh, when we did give him the sponsor so you feel like you got to produce so you put a little extra pressure on you doing that plus being the defending brand national champion you know the pressure on is on a little bit more this year than what it was last year in that aspect as far as the racing pressure racing against uh, Darrell Walter or any other, any of the other drivers is uh, about the same and just, in, just as enjoyable as always. Earnhardt makes his intentions clear on the very first turn where he drafts Richard Petty, dips low into turn two and passes both Petty and Harry Gant to move immediately into third place behind Cale Yarborough and Neil Bonnet who shot out from the pole position to secure the lead. As they come back around the start-finish straight, he closes the gap behind Yarborough, then pulls alongside into turn one.
drafting Barnett, and by the time the pack hits the back straight, Dale Earnhardt is leading the World 600, having moved up from fifth place to first after just a lap and a half of this grueling 300-lap race. Yarborough then takes Bonnet. So as Earnhardt leads the pack into turn one, he's followed by Yarborough, Bonnet, Gant, and Richard Petty. I did without a lot of things in life, just, just to race, and, uh, and I, I enjoy it. And I, I'm more happy racing than I am uh, going to a race or flying or else I'm happier when I'm in the car racing and that's what you know that's what I live to do I reckon that's all I've ever wanted to do and I, I think that's going to determine when I stop racing is when that uh, joy stops or when the enjoyment of it stops uh, I think I'll stop racing then when I don't want to do it anymore. perhaps the most critical moments of a race occur not when the car is on the track but when it's in the pits where a few precious seconds can mean the difference between victory and defeat it should not be surprising, then, that during Dale Earnhardt's 1980 Grand National Championship season, his young crew also took top honors in the Sears Craftsman National Pit Crew Competition. Out of 10,320 possible laps in 1980, Earnhardt completed substantially more of them than any other NASCAR driver. And of the 31 events, his Wrangler Pontiac was running at the end of all but four. can communicate with his crew by radio once he's back out on the track it's his race to win or lose after 100 miles of racing Earnhardt has returned to the track from his pit stop still leading this world 600 but he's followed closely by Neil Bonnet Cale Yarbrough and Harry Gant National racing is a grassroots phenomenon that has become the most popular motorsport in America. The members of NASCAR's special fraternity are known across the country for their tireless dedication to their fans through charity work, benefits, and all manner of public appearances. They are truly local heroes everywhere they go. Known him since this little kid anyway. <laughs> Must be around here now. Because <laughs> he's grown up over on the hill. Well, I, Richard Petty, Dylan Hart. Who else, Daddy? Who else? Who else? Who else? Oh, now I know. It's Newborn, Richard Petty. That's all. I guess that's all. The huge grandstands and open infield areas of the Charlotte Motor Speedway are filled this Memorial Day weekend with thousands of fans who press to the fences to pick out their favorite drivers each time the pack passes by. And all these devoted fans have experienced the bottomless feeling of straining to find a particular car that one lap just doesn't come around. Dale Earnhardt's face as he sits helplessly by 
tells the same sad story. His crew finally diagnoses the problem as a faulty distributor, but Earnhardt knows he's seen the leaders come around too many times to be able to mount a serious effort, even when he gets back into the race. And perhaps in his frustration, he recalls the exhilaration of what might have been until a $2 part took him out of the running. After Neil Bonnet's infield spin, Bobby Allison went on to win his second World 600. And the season goes on. Two weeks later, they're in College Station, Texas, for the NASCAR 400. My future really depends on how, how long I can drive a race car, how strong I can be when I'm driving. The rest of this season, you know, we're not that far out of the points. We're still optimistic about winning the point championship this year, two years in a row. I feel like we can do it or got a good chance of doing it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, Earnhardt's not doing as good this year, but uh, our, our team's coming around as far as our luck's coming around. Our cars are doing better. We, we've been a lot more competitive in the last several races. And things are looking better for the end of the year, so I still feel like we've got a shot at the points. Second place in Texas adds crucial points to his championship effort. When he gets back home, though, there are matters at least as important as winning Grand National races. We might very well be watching the next NASCAR dynasty in the making. After two such sensational seasons, from Rookie of the Year to Grand National Champion, Dale Earnhardt is now hanging tough in his bid for a second consecutive championship. Based on a strong summer showing, that goal is now well within his grasp. NASCAR Passing by Team Monte Carlo. Come on, man, go, go, go. You're never going to get by anybody this far behind us. Go, the okay. tail on the back. Let's go, go, go. Blah, blah, blah. What you say? I guess my seven NASCAR championships are clogging up my ears, huh? Now here, there's two ways to do this. There's my way and the wrong way. Want to be like the Earnhardts? Drive the all-new Chevy Monte Carlo. The cars more champions depend on. Chevy, we'll be there. Every driver dreams of winning the Daytona 500. Michael Waltrip dreams just of winning this race, any race, to break that big 0 for streak, 0 for 462. I don't know if I can stand this or not. Come on, buddy. You got two to go. Come on, don't give up now. Just stay under him, Dale Jr. Just stay under him, buddy. Two to go, bud. Two to go. Out of way. The calm voice of the spotter. Look at Chuck Dale. Joyce reassuring Michael Walter. Dale has done. Sterling has beat the front end offense. That old Dodge trying to get around Dale. Sterling, is there room between Earnhardt and Schrader? Yes, he gets to the outside. Then All drops right. back in line. All right, here we go now. This is when it's going to get tense, boys. This is when, this is when we're going to find out. We're coming around for the white flag. Four Chevys, a Pontiac, a Ford, and a Dodge. To fight it out, three miles to the finish of the Daytona 500. If he can survive this run, he'll be okay. No 
Nobody's doing anything. They're all holding. Go get them. Come on, buddy. One to go. The last lap. One to go, buddy. Keep it low, Mikey. Keep it low. Don't let them under you. Make that back straight away wide, buddy. Get all over the place. Don't let them run up on you. Come on, man. Come on now. Watch it, mirror. Watch it. He's going to make a run inside. Block him. Block him. That a boy. Three wide behind them. You got him, Mikey. You got him, man. You got him. Come on, man. Come on, baby. Come on. Get him in the fold. Get him in the fold. The three cars out. Oh, big trouble. Big wreck behind them. Beat him back. Come on. To the flag. Come on, Mikey. You got it, man. You got it. You got it. You got it. You got it. How about Dale? Is he okay? Schrader has climbed out of his car. He and Earnhardt have crashed together. Olivia turns three and four. Look at Buck. You may have got me on Saturday, but I got you on Sunday. Daryl, is this better than winning it? No, it's better. This is great. I just hope Dale's okay. I guess he's all right, isn't he? Michael Man. Waltrip takes off the helmet, drops the window net, and he's about to get the best ride in racing. Man. The Daytona 500 victory lane. My daddy would be so happy. Man. Michael Waltrip has won the Daytona 500. Tears running down his cheeks as he comes to victory lane. We'll be right back. Earnhardt to get out of his car. Dale Earnhardt Jr. at a dead run toward the track's infield care center. So while his car owner, here's what happened up in turn three. Oof. Well, this is this is huge because you go head on. And that TV does not do that justice. That is an incredible impact. Head on. Throws you forward in the car. Uh, those are the kind of accidents that absolutely are frightening. While rescue workers attend to Dale Earnhardt, who is still in his car, his driver is... And it's, it's, as excited as I am for Michael and as proud as I am of him, I, I just, I'm praying for Dale. Uh, he's back down there and they're still working down there, so we need to worry about him. Ken Schrader climbed from his car after that turn three crash. Dale Earnhardt was removed from his car and you see the ambulance transporting him directly to Halifax Medical Center in Daytona Beach, which fortunately is but two miles from the Speedway. That's all the news we have. If we don't get a further update on Earnhardt's condition during our telecast, tune into Victory Lane at 9 p.m. on Fox Sports Net tonight. This is undoubtedly one of the toughest announcements that I've ever personally had to make. Uh, but after the accident and turn four at the end of the Daytona 500, uh, we've lost Dale Earnhardt. He arrived to the hospital at 1654. Uh, a full trauma resuscitation was attempted for about uh, a little over 20 minutes, uh, at which time uh, he was placed on a, a ventilator. Uh, multiple IV lines were given, IV fluids, chest tubes, various diagnostic tests. Uh, he 
never showed any signs of, of life and subsequently was pronounced dead by uh, all the physicians in attendance. NASCAR has lost its greatest driver ever. And I personally have lost a great friend. And that's Bill Francis' quote, and I think that pretty well sums it up for the NASCAR community right now. When Dale Earnhardt had his hands on the steering wheel, he felt and saw things that you and I will never see. He could see the wind. Even moving at 200 miles an hour, he could see things more clearly than most of us could, even, could ever fathom and thrill us all while he was doing it. Some call him legend, some call him hero, some simply call him dad, or son, or to me, he was a lover. Dale Earnhardt was a man who personified the American dream. He worked hard, he earned everything he had, and he enjoyed it. This is an achievement of a lifetime. And to be able to celebrate it, for me, this is a moment of pride for Dale that is, I just can't put into words. So as I thought about the importance of today, I thought about the, the people, I thought about what people recognized and remembered about Dale's attributes. They called him the bravest, the toughest, the greatest, the most unselfish, the most generous, the most authentic, just to summarize a few. So there's so much that we could say about Dale. But the people who believed in him cheered him to victory, held him up to greatness, have said it best. Former President George Bush quoted Dale, quote, an American legend. Senator Jesse Helms said Dale was, quote, an authentic American. He was a hero to millions. Secretary of State Colin Powell called him, quote, an American icon. Another quote, he was the greatest race car driver that ever lived. Bud Moore got straight to the point when he said, quote, there's Earnhardt and then there's everybody else. But local school... <laughs> But local school children put it best when they simply called him, quote, a real hero. Dale Earnhardt was definitely a hero to his family. And no one can say more about that than his children. Through them, his friends and fans, through this Hall of Fame, and through you, Dale Earnhardt the legend lives on. Carrie? You know, Dad, as we grew up, he um, sacrificed a lot in life. Uh, there was a lot of times when Dad wasn't around, and, and I wondered what was important to him that he had to be gone all the time. Uh, thing called autograph sessions, appearances. Uh, fans meant the most to Dad, and Dad once taught me things about what fans were. Um, he, also, he always taught me that no matter who it is in life, your bosses, the coworkers you work with, or the ones that come out to support you in whatever you do in life, 
are your fans, the ones that believe in you and believe in everything you do. Uh, you know, Dad, Dad was just tremendous with his fans, learned a lot from Richard. Richard, awesome. Uh, it is, I can't say enough about what the fans meant to Dad. Dad would always take the last minute and plus some to be associated with the fans, little ones up to older ones. A lot of times Dad would give back to fans for what they did for him. I remember times when he met children with handicaps. They end up having a van built for a wheelchair access and given to the family to many other things. And just a proud moment to be here and be part of this induction of the Hall of Fame. And as a son, thank everyone and the fans out there that supported him. Kelly. Thank you. My dad was a very giving person. Um, though he was a competitive driver and a businessman, that was very important to him, but it was also important to give back. And whether he did that to the local farmers on Highway 3, or racers just getting started like Jeff Gordon, or, serving our, or the men and women serving in our military in the public service, he was about doing business the right way and using his successes to give back to others. Um, giving back was important, but what was not important was telling people about it. And most of his acts of kindness went without anyone knowing. At other times, his help and his advice was a little more public. Right, Dale? Yeah, I guess you could say there were a few times where I got some public advice from him. Uh, we were uh, in Japan racing. I was racing for the first time against the cup competitors and my father. And uh, it was late in the race. I'd got some new tires. Only had a few laps to make those work for me. And I got up underneath him off of turn three and four, and I, I just needed about two inches to clear him. And I didn't, have, I didn't have him cleared, and I slid across his nose up out to the wall. And he carried me all the way down the front straightaway on my front, on, on, with my back tires in there all the way off into one. And that was the day I met the intimidator. <laughs> so he let me go, but, uh, and I ran from him like I had an F on my report card. <laughs> but with that, that same grit and competitive spirit, uh, he, he carried that with his racing, but he carried it with everything else in life, too. And when he wasn't in the race car, uh, he was uh, always outdoors. He was an avid outdoorsman, right, Taylor? I, I think that um, it's a big, you know, knowledge that me and Carrie and Kelly and Dale all grew up with different aspects of Dad. Um, Dale, you know, was always at the track with him, and I, I was, as a baby, was always at the track, but he always see me kissing the cheek and everything, but um, I got the, the more outdoorsy um, and, the, and the farm and the real man that he was behind the scenes and away from the racetrack, and I always grew up, you know, not wanting to clean my room, and, and so I'd call Dad, and we'd go ride around the farm, and, and he taught me how to hunt, and, and, he, and aside from, you know, just hunting, he taught me how to, you know, take care of animals and how to preserve and, cons and conserve animals, which is something he was very passionate about. And, 
and and he you know he taught me that and that and that's something I took from him and and I think that with us all having different experiences we all have uh, we are we all look like you know dad and that everybody always tells us that we all look a little bit like dad and and I think we all act like him too we're determined and driven and stubborn as a fence post but <laughs> but uh, dad gave all four of us something and, and he gave his all his fans something and. And I think that's what makes him a true champion in everybody's eyes. So. I'd like to give you one more quote from Dale. A racer wants to race and win. Imagine having the opportunity to do that for a living and then to be successful and then to be considered one of the greatest drivers that ever raced, especially by a group of peers, is one of the greatest honors a driver could ever receive. I've had a great career. If it ended tomorrow, I'd have no regrets. Dale Earnhardt, thank you. <laughs>